Hey, when we can see So you Actually, using their degree for 
their their mindset. At in my mind, all right, I can just about the Heal up and 
this in the song as we sing these lyrics and it says show me who you are speaking to God and fill me with heart and lead me in your love to those around me it's a little bit about what we're going to hear tonight and what we need to be thinking about looking at God's love for us and having that motivate us towards others with that same kind of love so sing this with me if you know it Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, sing Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, Yes. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. We live for you. See, holy, holy, there is no one like. 
you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who can ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Sean Farrell's house, and uh, and the location of Faith Bible Church's college ministry. We meet here every Friday night, so we kind of want you to know that you're you're a little bit in the home of our college ministry, which is called Grafted. And obviously, tonight we have a very unique focus, and there are many of you here who have come from other churches in our valley, um, or at least a handful of us representing different churches, and so we want to say welcome, but also it's kind of all of us together grabbing arms tonight to come around this really important topic. Um, so thank you for being here. 
Um, and I just want to give you my heart as we go into the night. I'm going to kind of help to hopefully be a little bit of an MC and, and, and take us on this journey this evening. We're going to hear some testimonies tonight. Uh, we're going to hear uh, ways that we can be more involved um, in, in this cause of fighting for and defending the unborn. Um, tonight's focus is on the topic of abortion. But I wanted to, as we go into this evening, especially since there's going to be a weight that comes as we look at this topic, I think in light of that weight, which there should be, and our hearts should be heavy about things that uh, we face on this earth as a result of this broken life that we live, um, I wanted to encourage you as we sing, as we pray, as we hear information, and we take those things in, that in the midst of it, you would keep your eyes fixed on Christ. He will be at the center of everything you hear tonight because he's at the center of the lives of the people who are going to be sharing. And if he is at the center of your life, then you know that he is the great shepherd. In fact, when Jesus talks about his kind of shepherding compared to other shepherds in John 10, he actually says, those shepherds, those thieves really, are out to harm you. But what he says about himself is, I came to give you life and to give it abundantly. And so I want to encourage you to have your eyes fixed on our great shepherd tonight. You're going to hear about him and you're going to hear the gospel at the heart of the things that we share tonight. And I think as you get ready to hear information and help to have a more biblical perspective on this topic of abortion, that you would plant your feet in those truths and you would keep your eyes fixed on Christ because he ultimately is the hope that we have, okay? So that's my encouragement. We're going to sing some more throughout the night. You're going to get tired of seeing this little band up here. We're going to sing all through the night just to kind of garnish the things that we're learning. Uh, the first thing that we wanted to do was introduce you to Jeanette Chun. Will you give a nice round of applause and say hi to Jeanette? Jeanette is from Birth Choice, which is an organization right here in our town. Jeanette, tell us about you and birth choice. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here tonight. My kids are your guys' age, and they're often about doing their adult things, and one of them's in university at Nebraska, and I miss them terribly. So just being around you guys makes me so excited tonight. You guys are a pretty amazing group. Um, I'm Jeanette Chun, and I'm with Birth Choice Centers, and we have a center that's in Temecula, Hemet, Palm Desert. We have a mobile unit that operates in Lake Elsinore and Hemet. And we also have a boutique we just opened up um, in Lake Elsinore that's going to be an education center. And the reason why we're spreading out so much is we really feel a call of God on our lives to reach out to your age group, to other age groups, as well as adults who are married, who have children that don't know what to do with an unplanned pregnancy. It's a frightening time. It's a time where people aren't sure about how they're going to handle their situations. But in all things, we want everybody to know that there's hope, that there's always a redeeming time. And that there's not a single person's life that can't be taken and used for the good of glory. I myself was a teen parent. At 19, I had my first child. He's now 27. And um, I can tell you right now that I was a very broken life. But I now God has used my life and my story as a ministry to now with the very comfort I've been comforted to go comfort others. And I think every single one of you can do the same thing with anything that you've ever gone through in your lives. At Birth Choice... We are very honored to be able to have young women who are in distress come into our centers. And believe it or not, more men are coming into our centers wanting to know what to do with their girlfriend that got pregnant or their wife that's pregnant and they're scared and they don't know how to handle this. 
And we can walk them through a decision-making process where we give them all of their options. Every single one of them, we explain them to them clearly. So that our hope is that they would choose life. And that's why we have our name birth choice. Because our, our world wants to say that usually with an unplanned pregnancy and something we don't want that's not comfortable for us, they say just be you done with it and get rid of it. And abortion seems to be the only option. But we have a birth choice because you can give a child to a loving family and you can choose the joy of adoption or you can choose the joy of parenting, either one. And we will be there to support you or anybody who you guys, if you guys know people that you can send and who need our support, we can support people through our education programs and our material assistance program all the way up to two years old. It's a very powerful thing to have a family come in who feels no hope. They don't know the Lord. It's a very unchurched people group. We would think that in the Tamacula Valley, uh, when we have a hundred something plus churches, that these people would um, obviously know that there's a church that they could go to for support. It's a shocking thing for us where they would never step foot into a church to ask for help at all. They would rather choose an abortion than ask for help. But we are a safe place. It's almost like an intermediary, a parachurch organization, you can call us, where we will be that safe place that they can come to and spill some of their darkest things that they're going through. And we can provide advocates and counseling so that they can find help and hope in their time of need. We have a little um, saying, we call ourselves a voice of love. To me, that's very important because love is patient and it's kind and it's gracious and it's generous and it doesn't seek its own. We're not here to seek our own desire for those young women. We're here to show them what's best for them according to their own decision-making processes. And in every single ending, we do hope they choose life. If they have not chosen life for their child or for themselves, because this isn't a situation that just affects the child. It affects the mother and the father, sometimes the grandma and grandpa. Sometimes it is the aunts and uncles that come to us and they need help because their niece who they wanted to keep a child didn't keep the child and they need counsel. So there's many different ways in which we can provide hope and help so that people have encouragement and that life is instilled within them because wherever there is Christ, there is life. And you cannot have the two separated. There's nothing else but Christ that's going to give life. And so our hope is to bring them into our programs and share the love of Christ with them, be praying for them. So these unchurched people groups will then be able to find a house and a home that they can apply to and we can find them a groups like you guys I, this is just incredible. I am, I am, I'm just blown I'm away. Pumped. I'm blown away. So at our center, we um, are looking for ways to be able to con connect with more college group and high school groups. So if there is anybody here that feels a calling of God on their life tonight, after everything that you guys have heard, it may be a difficult subject matter, but it's a subject matter that you guys are going to be changing the world for. It's a subject matter that you guys can speak to your friends, your neighbors, your family members. Because your group and age group, as they grow up, we need to hear what you have to say. It's important. You guys are smart and you have the right words to say. You just need to be able to have an outlet to say them in. And we would love to provide you that outlet. And we have um, different avenues in which you can um, come and volunteer with us because we're looking for outreach groups that are college age. So we can go to other college groups and do this conference as well as um, outreach tables and at events. So if you guys are interested in any of that, uh, most of all, if you know anybody that has gone through an unplanned pregnancy, maybe even an abortion, let them know about us. We're here to help. We're here to love them. If you guys have suffered through something or maybe your friend did and it hurt you or bothered you, come. We can provide help. There is always hope in every situation.
because anywhere that there is Christ, there is light, and it always chases away the darkness. So I want you guys to be left with that. You're going to have an amazing night. I am just so pumped about tonight. So thank you for this opportunity. We, we thank Jeanette. Thank you, Jeanette. Come on, stand to our feet. We're going to sing a little bit more. So thankful for that. Jeanette will be in the garage later when we're all done. We're going to kind of just hit you with a bunch of really great, great stuff. And then uh, pray that the Lord uses it in all of our hearts. That next song, Stronger. Jesus, you 
great proclamation. Have a seat, if you would. We have asked uh, a friend of ours, to many of you, uh, a longtime friend, um, and somebody who's been a member here at Faith Bible Church uh, in past years, and still a very dear, I don't even want to say friend, this is a family member. <laughs> um, so will you welcome up, uh, we've asked Tamara Burbaum to share with you today. Tamara, can you come up? It's interesting that you said family. Um, I just need to give you a little bit of history working up to this night. In 2008, we were brought to Faith Bible Church. Um, I had been saved since 2002, and, um, and it was in 2009 that I went with John Stead to the Master's um, College to share my testimony. Um, so we do go way back. But a lot has changed in those almost 11 years. Um, one of the reasons I'm glad you said family is recently my husband and I prayerfully, obediently made a decision to move back to Arizona to be closer to family. We have grandkids. We have kids who need us. We have aging parents and, and grandparents that are dying, and we thought we need to go be with family. In the meantime, we bought a house, and I've been playing general contractor and ripping up carpets myself. And um, so this whole week, actually in the last two weeks, I said, Sean, I'm sorry, I can't come. And I really felt it was the right decision. I felt I was putting my family first. And my husband and I prayed through that and we wrestled through that and I wasn't, I wasn't at ease. Something kept saying, they're your family. You said you were moving back to be closer to your family so you could be able to be near your family. And you're right. Um, we were able, I was here in an hour on a plane versus six hours across the ocean. My husband, by God's grace, was able to get here after work today. This is not an accident. This is a long time coming. Sean and I have been praying, talking, strategizing for many years of how can we, how can you, how can he, we, Faith Bible Church, give hope and help to those in need. Your pastor, Sean Farrell. I have watched him. This is his mission, is to give hope and help to those in need in any situation. Abortion just happens to be the topic tonight, but the heart of the pastors are to give hope and help in anything. Quickly, my life before Christ really is summed up in Romans 3, and that's all of ours, right? There's no one good, not one. It's just not everyone in here can say, and they were swift to shed blood. Um, but sadly, I can. Fear of man was my God. Man, what people think of me. That's what got me in relationships. That's what led me to sexual immorality. If I give you this, will you love me? That started at a very young age. Fear of man is a snare. That snare led to sexual immorality. It also led to hiding. Not only did I hide my own sin, but I hid the sin of things done to me. Shame. Shame is what I carried around with me. That led me in 2000, actually in um, 29 years ago this month, October 6th. That shame, that sin, that fear of man led me to an abortion clinic with my first unplanned pregnancy. I walked in, told them what my issue was, and they said, we can take care of it. It's, it's not a baby. No baby was mentioned. 
No life was mentioned. No education happened. I was told it's just tissue. It's a blob. You're going to be okay. I wasn't okay. That was my first abortion. I used to end this testimony. Where's John said? He's heard it. I used to end this testimony at this part of the story that my son survived that abortion. And many of you know him. He's 28 today. And I used to end it there because that was a good story. Then I could confess my abortion and I could, you know, it could all work out okay. And God could get glory. But sadly, because I wasn't educated, because I had no one to come alongside me and tell me this is when life begins and this is what an abortion is. I didn't even know what the procedure was. I didn't know. I wasn't educated. Sure, conscious, knew it was wrong, but I wasn't educated. I wasn't informed. I did not make an informed decision. My heart didn't change. Yes, Rick survived. He was a miracle and I knew he was a miracle, but I didn't know Jesus. So my life didn't change. I ended up back in those relationships, in and out. Why? Fear of man. Love me. Care for me. And when you don't, I'll go somewhere else and I'll find it from someone else. So I ended up two more times in an abortion clinic. Many of you are shocked. I've even had people to this day say it's hard for them to respect me when they hear the full story. But God. But God, when I was 30, I was divorced. My life was, you name it, adultery, divorce, abortion, lies. But when I was 30, I was invited to a church to hear the hope of the gospel, to hear that Jesus' blood was shed for my sin. I wasn't the, the, the a victim. I thought I was a victim this whole time. What was me? No. I was enslaved. I was selfish. And that fear of man, that snare, led me to take lives of children that were entrusted to me. It was there that I heard the hope that Christ shed his blood for me to set me free. I learned about David. David that we all look to in the Psalms and we get so excited to see his faith. He took lives too. Moses, Paul. There's hope in God's word. As you look at these men of faith that God still uses to this day, they also took lives. But God has transformed them. And he transformed me. He introduced me to my redeemer. Isaiah 54 says, like a desolate wife who's been deserted, the Lord your God is your redeemer. And that was the day I met my heavenly husband as a single mom divorced with two kids. It was amazing. My circumstances didn't change. They were hard, but I now had hope. I had someone to walk me through it, to show me, to love me unconditionally. I was free from the fear of man. I was free from the shame and the hiding. There came a point where I realized truly I could relate with Paul that I am the worst of sinners. And if there's no more condemnation for me, then how could I condemn anyone else? I have sought to go and share hope 
with women who are in need because I didn't have that woman to encourage me, educate me, and empower me on how to love this child entrusted to me. And so by God's grace, I have spent the last five years in Hawaii serving at a place for women, being the voice of love, not just the voice for the one in the womb, but the voice of love to the one who's facing an unplanned pregnancy. Just because it's unplanned to her, it's not unknown to God. That child was created to change her life, and we have to show her and give her hope. We, we all have stories of shame and hidden uh, things, and the word says that he who, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. There's hope in Christ. Tonight, um, I wanted to share with you that when I was going to say no, I was praying and I got a text from a mom that just chose life about four months ago. She doesn't know the Lord. It wasn't the gospel that, that uh, had her choose life. She had an appointment at an abortion clinic. And her mom called, when she called her mom to tell her, her mom called the nearest pregnancy center. And I was on the other line. And she begged her daughter, just go in and talk to them. She came in and you know what we did? We educated her. This is when life begins. This is an ultrasound. This is what's going on inside of you. And then we had coffee a few times to talk about that in Christ, you can, you can do anything. God has made you a mom. An abortion doesn't stop you from being a parent. Actually, an abortion is the first choice you're making as a parent. That is life or death. She just needed someone to come alongside her and love on her. And last night, she gave birth to Penelope Joy. It, when I got that picture, I knew that I'm supposed to come and encourage you guys that we, the church, should be the place that they should be running to. More often than not, when I ask a woman in the counseling room, do you go to church? Yes. Have you gone to anybody there? No. I could never tell anybody there. That makes me so sad. And I tell them, then you're at the wrong church. You need to go to a church that would say, are you kidding? We love you. Let us help you. The grace of God abounds. There's hope. We should be, we the people, whatever church you go to, we should be the place where they want to come to. Because we, whatever our sin is, it's not worse than, it's not better than abortion. Sin is level at the cross. We are all level at the cross. And Christ has redeemed us. So let's give hope and help to those in need. Let's start first by being educated. Know when life begins. Know where your local pregnancy center is. Have an app on your phone where you can actually show her, oh, you're, you're nine weeks. Let me show you what's going on right now. And love her. Yes, she needs the gospel. But what she needs is a first responder that's going to tell her it's okay. It's okay. And God created this life, and you can do it. And if you can't, there are families that are waiting to take care of this child. And honestly, you could be a hero and giving that family what they've been longing for. I never heard the option of adoption. 
I never was encouraged to try and parent my child. Let me remind you that statistically, if you know, in this amount of people, there are people in here who have had and or participated in an abortion. There are people in here who have been affected by the choice of abortion, whether it's a parent, a child. There is hope in Christ. If you remember what he did in your life, Titus 3 says, we too once were enslaved, but it's his mercy and his kindness that led us to him so we can lead others to him as well. We can give compassionate hope and help as the church to those in need. Thank you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to give you a song that's prayerful, and so you can use it if you'd like. Uh, the words are there on that page, so if you're looking down, you can look at your sheet. It's called Shining to Our Night. I'm hoping that this can be an appropriate prayer for us as we think about the many ways that our sin is taken care of by Christ. Tamara just said, every sin at the foot of the cross is leveled. All of our sin is an offense against our holy God. And Christ has made a way for every one of our sins to be forgiven. And so, for us, we're left to beg him. To beg him to shine his light into our darkness. And the good news is, he can. So sing if you like, or just bow and pray. You use this time however you want.
speaker for tonight. His name is Michael Spielman. He's the founder of Abort73.com, which is called Abort73. And in my opinion, is the single best online resource for abortion and biblical defense of that anywhere on uh, the web today. For the past 20 years, Mike has given his life to the work of educating and equipping people about the topic of abortion through that website, and he's made the trip from the East Coast, not a one-hour flight, a lot longer than that to be with us, but not a six-hour drive either. So he, he came a long distance to be with us, um, and that's a, a privilege for all of us, and especially for me, because Mike is one of my oldest friends. Uh, I met him when I was six, and we were in first grade together, and it didn't take long for me to realize sitting in class that as we would draw sitting next to each other, he was a much better artist than I am. In fact, he's a very good artist. Uh, then we would get out of the field, and he was faster than me. And athletics at that age is all about speed. Am I right? It's about how fast you are. So Mike was faster than me. Jenny Thornton liked him and not me. Um, we had a school play, and uh, we both tried out for it. I was given the role of an extra, Good King Wenceslas, and he was the main <laughs> character. And so uh, then the grades came out. He always got better grades than me as well. And... Uh, I still hold a little bit of a grudge because he won the handball championship in third grade. Uh, we were in the finals together and he beat me. But uh, I, I'll put that all aside for tonight. Uh, Mike is a man of few words, but when he speaks, you want to listen. And uh, tonight he's going to speak a lot 
about himself and his ministry and what the Lord's done in his heart to bring him to this point. And so we're, we are really privileged to have you tonight. Mike, thanks for coming. Give him a round of applause. Thank you. Um, yeah, I missed John on the first day of the first grade. Um, he fails to mention, though, that uh, so his dad at that point was one of the greatest athletes in the world. I don't know how many of you know this. An Olympic athlete, the fastest man on the planet. Close to it, right? Pretty much. So it was intimidating growing up a little bit with Sean. Um, when I think of the greatest American Olympians of all time, it's probably Michael Phelps, Mary Lou Retton, and Tom Farrell. Um, and of course, I, I grew up in the projects in Silmar, and Sean grew up in a magic paradise called Granada Hills. <laughs> um, and, and then our school closed down, and so we had to go to rival high schools. And, uh, but, you know, Sean, in all seriousness, I, I love you, and it's so good to be here and to, um, to be part of this. Uh, what I think, seriously, about the schedule you keep, I, I just marvel. I mean, I... I have a semi-busy life, and I get overwhelmed frequently, and I think, you know what? Somewhere out there, Sean is doing way more than I'm doing, and he's doing it way better than I'm doing it. Um, so, and, and this is, you know, testament to that. And, and, and on that same note, um, you know, like you said, I've been doing this for 20 years, and one of the unfortunate side effects of being in pro-life work for 20 years is it makes you very cynical about the church, because most people in the church and most churches don't want anything to do with this issue and so just to be here and it's like wow you guys are like here and you're interested and you're supportive and it's just it's it's a breath of fresh air and i'm so grateful for it um if you don't know i'm going to be speaking to the whole uh, faith bible congregation on sunday night about the connection between abortion and the gospel and i hope you'll be able to go to that because um i'm not really going to get into that tonight um, tonight is is not as formal a message, um, it's really, like Sean said, going to become my story uh, about what got me to Abort 73 and how Abort 73 is designed to be a resource for um, for people with regard to this issue. So um, anyway, again, thank you for allowing me to be here, and it is truly a privilege. Um, so I uh, so basically, Abort 73, um, if, if you've never been to the website, it's the way I say it, it's a web-based ministry. It is working to protect women and children from the violence of abortion through education and peer-to-peer -peer engagement. Um, but the easier, the best and easiest way to get a, a sense of what it's all about is to simply visit the website and, and look through our case against abortion. Um, I started it about 15 years ago when um, we were living up in the San Fernando Valley. Um, my family and I have lived in uh, South Carolina for the last six years. We were in Northern Illinois before that. So I've moved around a little bit, um, but through it all, Abort 73 has continued to be my main location, and through the grace of God, I'm, I've been able to do it these last 15 years. Um, but my, my pro-life journey really began um, with another group. In, in 1999, I started working for a group based in Orange County uh, called the Center for Biological Reform. They had a college outreach project that really intrigued me. It was called the Genocide Awareness Project. And they went to the state universities all over the country, and they would set up these photo murals in the basically whatever the free speech zone was. And it would compare abortion to historic forms of genocide. 
uh, and slavery and, and these historic atrocities. And, and the brilliance of the project was that it cut through students' indifference. One of the ways that, that students tend to um, deal with abortion is to just say, you know, there's no real right and wrong. Everything's relative. What's right for you might be wrong for somebody else, but what's wrong for you might be right for somebody else. And so it's just kind of this, you know, postmodern post sort, sort of philosophy. There is no ultimate right or wrong. But when they're confronted with these historic forms of evil, um, like the Holocaust or the Cambodian genocide or, you know, racial lynchings in this country, their tune suddenly changes. And so when you start talking through the arguments and, and try to demonstrate to them that, that the arguments used to justify abortion, they're basically the same arguments that were used to justify slavery. And that's, you know, it's basically, well, you just let people decide what they want to do. You know, everybody gets a choice. And of course, what, what they're ignoring is the victim. And so I started um, traveling with this project. I, I spent my first five weeks in Florida, uh, but, but over the next few years, went all over the country with this project. And it was... Um, it was exhilarating and it was terrifying because, um, so just to, to back up even a little further, I, I graduated from Washington State University in um, December of 1997. Anyone here born in 1997? Who's, who's born after 1997? A lot of you, man, I've been doing it. And graduate, uh, makes me feel old. Okay. <laughs> so when I was at, at uh, Washington State, I was pretty involved with athletes and Campus Crusade for Christ, and I did a lot of campus evangelism. Crusade or Crusade or Crew, as they call it now, in particular, was very uh, evangelistically minded. And so we would go to the student union every Friday and, and try to talk to students. Um, but one of the frustrating things was it just seemed like everybody was not interested. It's like, please leave me alone. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. I'm not interested. Just I've got better things to do. And in the providence of God, about one year after I graduated, I was back on the same campus in the same location with this project, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students clamoring to see what this is all about. It was like somehow this issue cuts through indifference in ways that is shocking. And some people are very angry, very angry, especially professors. But what I noticed is that students had sort of defaulted into a pro-choice position because they had never thought about it. Like Tamara said, they'd never heard a compelling case against abortion. And when you actually had the opportunity to talk to them and explain that there's no debate as to, in terms of when life begins biologically, that's settled science. Everybody knows this. This is just a farce that people say nobody knows when life begins. When you really start dialoguing with students, um, you see the layers start pulling away and they're like, I had never thought about that. And so the experience with that project for those um, for those few years was a thrilling one. The downside was that um, we, we could only go to one school at a time, and it was sort of a bulky and expensive and um, difficult project to manage. There was a lot of security risks. We had vehicles sometimes drive into the exhibit. We would have to have constant police presence because there was threats of attack. We'd have signs like literally slashed. Um, but there was also this sense, you know, I had been a Christian since junior high, and I had never experienced, like, true hatred and persecution. Like, people legitimately hate what I'm saying. And, and you read passages in the gospel where Jesus says, 
know, my followers are going to be hated. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And I never experienced that. And I realized, well, this is one issue in America where people are not indifferent. They have very strong opinions. And so as I started thinking about it, I realized that one of the other issues is that college students are already almost too late in the game. It's like they're, they're at a point in their lives where um, they're no longer objective about something like abortion. And so it's like you have to reach students before college and you have to reach more students. And so Award 73 was my attempt. My background, as I said, is in uh, my degree is in graphic design. Maybe I skipped that part. So I had some background in web development, but I felt like there wasn't a website out there that just went through the case against abortion real systematically and clearly and said, look, here's the evidence. This is when life begins. This is sort of the metrics of, of prenatal development. This is how abortion functions. Um, and then the pictures, too, are, if, you, if you've seen them, they're awful. They're horrible pictures. But, um, but sometimes pictures communicate things that words can't. And we see that in history. You see, you know, pictures of historic atrocities that are just gut-wrenching. And they are powerful deterrence in ways that is sometimes necessary. So the pictures are part of the, the case against abortion on the abortion website. And it's, it truly is a massive resource. And we have, um, actually we're, we're approaching thousand post-abortion testimonies on the site also, which are incredibly um, compelling. In fact, yeah, I've got a few things that I, I'm gonna read. I, I don't really have a, a message prepared like tonight. I'm, I'm, Sean said, it's okay, it's, it's informal, but just, just tell us your story. Um, so like I said, I started with this other group, but I felt like we need to reach more people and we needed to reach them younger. And so that was sort of the, um, the inspiration for Abort 73. And one of the other um, questions that I used to get a lot was what, what can I do? We have students say, I, I agree with your message. I, su I support this. What can I do to make a difference in my community, on my campus? And that was a question that I, at that time I didn't really have a good answer to. And so Award 73 also became my answer to that question because as you've probably seen in, in Come Through the Garage, we one of the ways that we market the website is through t-shirts. Uh, we have wristbands and stickers and just little pointers to try to get people to the website. Um, the name of Board 73 is a stumbling block for some people. In fact, I've had some churches that say, I, I can't support a ministry called Abort 73 because it, we can't tell what it is. And it kind of sounds like it might be for abortion. And it's just, it's, we need something that's more clearly uh, against abortion. But the name of Abort 73 was intentionally ambiguous. I needed something short that could go on a t-shirt, but I didn't. One of the issues with this, with, with the topic of abortion is that it's an issue that people aren't necessarily um, going to want to learn more about it. If they see a, a message that is obviously against abortion, then sometimes that in itself can be a turnoff. And so I would I would look at sort of the, some of the existing pro-life t-shirts and, and messaging, and it just felt like it was a little bit of a, of a turnoff because it was so over the top in the messaging that I wanted to uh, sort of pique people's curiosity to see it see a shirt, and if you've seen our shirts, most of them are a little bit veiled in terms of their uh, their language. They don't generally reference abortion directly. They're trying to get somebody to look at that shirt and think, what's that all about? Um, 
I'd like to learn more. And and, and in fact, actually, I, yeah, here's the thing. I, I wrote down a few recent correspondence we've got, and I thought this one was um, this this little message here kind of sums up the goal of the Award Seventy Three T-shirt. Um, this came in a month or two ago. It said, "A few years ago, I was pro-choice when I saw someone wearing an Award Seventy Three shirt at the library." I was curious, so I went to the website. I started second-guessing my stance as I read through most of the arguments on the site. Then I did some outside research of my own. Now I am pro-life. Thank you. So the cool thing about Asteroid to me is this is somebody at a library who had an Abort 73 shirt on, and this person saw the shirt and went to the website and changed their mind about abortion, and they never said anything to the person who was wearing that shirt. So they don't even know that that happened. And and you know, for the last 15 years, thousands and thousands and thousands of Award 73 shirts have gone out the door and never really know what the response is going to be, what the impact's going to be. But in the campus setting, it's obviously the best place for it because you see a t-shirt once, you know, you might forget about it. You see the second time, might stand out, you see the third time. If it's something that you're seeing on a regular basis, then the likelihood of that person going to the site increases, increases. And, and of course, today, you know, we really have two communities. We have our, our real physical community, and then we have this cyber community. And so we've got tools, um, you know, on the website also to, to share uh, our short videos, to share our web graphics, to like our posts. There's all sorts of ways that people can get involved in um, extending that message to those around them. I want to... Um, I think I'm going to share these. So I have um, two other testimonies that came in this week. And this first one is, is kind of nasty. Um, but I want to share it because it illustrates the darkness and the tension and the turmoil and the hurting that's out there. And when these kinds of things come in, it reminds me that there are real people out there really hurting and really dealing with issues that um, that I can sometimes lose sight of. It can become academic, almost like it's my job, fight abortion, academic, and I, and I forget that you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of unborn children will be aborted tomorrow. When I was on campus with the Genocide Awareness Project, I was regularly lambasted with horrible things. I don't get it as much now that I mostly am behind a computer, but we still get messages that come in like this. Um, you are a disgusting excuse for a nonprofit. Abortions are necessary, and you and your whole company should have been aborted. The world would be a, a brighter place without your disgusting values. You value dead people more than women. You're spreading lies. You speak for no one. God would never support your disgusting values forced body slavery. A woman's body forever changes and you want her to carry even if she was raped or the birth control didn't work. I wish for you when you die to be the most horrific and sad death alone. And when you arrive in hell, you will understand how wrong your values truly are. You hate women. You think we are incapable. You think you are all knowing. Ha, I can guarantee you are a woman hater and never went to college. And if there are women who support this, you are brainwashed. 
you were everything wrong with this world. If you really cared, you would worry about the lives already living, the women with established lives, half you, half you, and half your whole family. I wish you could receive the death sentence. I wish so badly you were aborted. The facts are, if abortion is illegal, back alley abortions will happen. What this is wrong with you, you nonprofit? I wish God came down to earth so she could smack you so hard. Seriously, what beef is wrong with you disgusting Christians? Slavery was legal too. Doesn't mean it was right. Don't understand that. <laughs> legal abortion gives everyone an option because as intelligent and capable beings, we can do that. Again, F you. F your whole nonprofit and family. I wish you never existed. You bring nothing but lies and harm to society. You are criminals and should be locked away. But your greatest punishment of all will be when you arrive in hell. I cannot wait for you to burn. You have no place on this earth. God will not forgive your sins. How dare you think you are worthy of speaking to God? How dare you? So this is not just an academic issue. This is uh, an issue that connects to people in profoundly personal ways. One of the ironies of an attack like this is that, um, and, and this is not uncommon, the accusation that it's men who are trying to force women to be pro-life, that, that women are naturally for abortion, men are naturally against abortion, which is almost entirely backwards. It, I actually wrote about this earlier this year. I went through, I was curious, and I went through all of our social media platforms, and, and roughly 75% of our Facebook followers are women. Roughly 75% of our Instagram followers are women. About two-thirds of all the shirts that we sell are sold to women. Uh, if you look through our Instagram feed, it's almost all women. Gallup released a poll this summer. 48% um, of American men identify themselves as pro-choice. 43% of American women identify themselves as pro-choice. So statistically, men are more likely to support abortion than women. If you look at the big, high-profile national pro-life groups, they're mostly held by women. Pregnancy care centers are almost exclusively run by women. And yet there's this bizarre narrative that it's the men who are driving the anti-abortion crusade. When, when my experience has been is that most men don't want anything to do with opposing abortion. So I suppose that is a challenge of sorts. For the men here, you probably feel pressure not to say anything about abortion because you feel, oh, it's not my place. But that lie for the last 40 years, I think, is one of the reasons why the church struggles so much to be a voice against abortion. It's almost like men feel like, ah, oh, I don't feel comfortable condemning abortion. And so what has ended up happening is that the pro-life movement is hamstrung because it's it's half, half, half of us are saying, I don't really want to say anything about this. Um, and, and like, again, bizarrely, there's this narrative out there that the only ones who are against abortion are men, which is truly tragic. Um, we have, uh, like I said, close to about 760 abortion testimonies that have been published. This one came in a few days ago, and it's so conflicted, but I think there's value in me sharing it because, again, it reminds us that we're surrounded by women and men who are dealing with crisis pregnancy, and, and more times than not, they're not telling anybody. 
us. So you, you have no idea that this is happening all around us. He says, I know I want a baby. I've known I wanted to be a mom for as long as I've known that I need to write. As every young girl fantasizes about the different paths the future will take, my dreams have been extravagant and varied. But I've always kept one picture that remained clear among the blurry transitions from one milestone to the next. That picture involved a cozy room with the faded colors of a coastal town filling the walls, myself in an overstuffed chair with my laptop and a cup of coffee and a polished wood crib where my baby finally and quickly succumbed to her afternoon nap. 16 hours ago, I had an abortion. As a 27-year-old woman living in her own two-bedroom, large backyard house, driving a Lexus SUV, I had an abortion. As a 27-year-old with what's supposed to be one of the safest forms of birth control in place, as a 27-year-old who met a man that was in town for only a week, four weeks later, that 27-year-old woman took a positive pregnancy test. I was back to being a full-time employee and a full-time student, only a few semesters left before I started graduate school. And all of a sudden, everything I ever wanted was part of me, growing inside of me. Like in the second I took a positive pregnancy test, I loved what it was. We spent weeks discussing it all, and our hearts broke when we realized this was going to be really hard and probably destroy one of our futures. It wasn't the baby's fault. We would have loved every inch of that baby. I am pro-choice. I believe it is up to a woman to decide if she wants to end a pregnancy. I never thought I would make that decision. After talking about nothing else but the baby, after talking to our families, our friends, and falling apart on the phone a few dozen times, we decided to end the pregnancy at six weeks. Doing so created a scar on my soul that I know will forever be there. 24 hours after taking a medication that made me feel nauseous, tired, but relatively okay, I took a dose of the second medication, four pills. And within 20 minutes, I felt cramping unlike anything I'd experienced. Over the next hour and a half, my body shook violently. I went from a bath to the toilet where I passed what seemed like a scary amount of blood, and then I fell asleep at 11 p.m. in preparation for my 6 a.m. alarm. I fell asleep with protection for the bleeding and woke up realizing I had severely underestimated what would happen. I quite literally woke up in a pool of my own blood and I cried. My dog licked my face, neck, hands, laid with me and loved me. I sobbed and I showered through everything on my bed in the laundry and got dressed and went to work. 16 hours later and now I am trying to figure out how to get the blood out of my mattress, trying to go over what I need to finish for homework and trying to process the fact that I chose to terminate a life that I would have loved more than my own. And I can't say with honesty whether I regret it or not. I can't say with honesty if it wasn't a mistake. It was a painful reminder for a woman who believed she could make whatever decision she wanted, that sometimes those choices come with consequences. The stories like that for me even though I, I live this every day, it makes it real again. And, uh, and there's women and men all over the country living with the same scar on their soul. And how does the gospel come to bear on that? And how do we reach out to them? Um, which is some of what I'm gonna be talking about on Sunday. But 
I say all that to try to demonstrate that it's a big issue. And I, I know Pastor, he calls it the defining experience of this generation. It's like Pam said, it touches all of us in different ways. And the guilt of abortion sits on all of us in different ways. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up for now. I'm going to pray and the band back up. But uh, if, if there's anything that you, uh, anything I didn't hit that you'd like to know about, I'll be here. Reach me through the website again. Thank you so much for the opportunity just to share my heart a little bit. Uh, I appreciate it so much. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for forgiveness. Lord, there are a world of scarred souls. In this world. And we are among their number. Help us to love you. Help us to love each other, Lord. Give us the grace to reach the hurting. Extend the love of Christ to those who release the release. Why don't you stay where you are, grab those song sheets, follow that and sing about the anchor that we have in Christ. We've said it over and over, but I want to reiterate it and put it into our lips. And remember that he is the only way for us to have hope. When everything else is shaking, when the whole world around us is causing us to crumble under the weight of the brokenness of this life and the results of sins in our own life and sins committed by others around us, we have a sure and steadfast anchor in Christ if we're grounded. Here's how it goes if you don't know it. Christ the sure and Steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my seeking hopes are few, I will hold fast. To the anchor, it shall never be removed. Why don't we stand and continue singing? Christ the shoot, steady anchor, while the tempest rages on, when temptation plays a battle. And it seems the night has won deeper still than those Though I just be stand accused, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed.
Christ the sure, steady anchor through the floods of unbelief. Hopeless song, oh my soul, now lift your eyes to Calvary. This my doubt and his love assures, see his love forever through. I will hold to the anger it shall never be removed. Christ the sure and anchor as we face the wave of death when these trials give Way to glory as we draw our final breath. We will cross, we will cross that great horizon as behind in life secure. And the calm will be the better for the storms that we Christ the sure and ever faithful, ever true. We will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be renewed. Well, if you would, let's close our eyes. We're going to go to a time of corporate prayer right now. We've asked four men in particular to pray out loud. And so I'm just going to encourage you as we go to prayer to join your heart with ours as we pray. Let's go to the Lord. Oh God, we worship you as the one who is overall created all things sovereignly ordained for man to be created in your image and to reflect your glory. God, I pray that you would magnify yourself in our minds, that while we look down onto the earthly, because we must, this is where we live on this earth, and you know that, but while we look at the earthly and the temporal, God, I pray that we would look to the things that are eternal and remember the maker who is behind all these things. We want to worship you tonight as the one who has created all things. And Lord, we recognize that you are the one who cares most deeply for these little ones. And you care most deeply for each one of us. And we know, God, that we can look to you and we can look to your word and we can plant our feet in who you are and in what you've said and in what you've done to rescue us from our sin. And we know that when we plant our feet in you, the great God over all, who is sovereign over all things, we will never be shaken. Lord, I thank you for organizations like Abort 73 and Birth Choice, Lord. Organizations who are shedding light on a very dark subject in this country. 
but a very dark chapter in this country. Lord, I thank you that through those organizations, light is being shed, spread to people who would not normally see it, people who feel they have no hope. But Lord, through them, you're able to give hope. Lord, I thank you that it's not just these organizations, Lord, but many other organizations across the country, Lord, that you are using to spread the truth about human life in the womb. Lord, that you are using men and women across this country to spread your truth. Lord, in that we pray for an end to abortion. Lord, we pray for an end to this chapter that we find ourselves in. Lord, we pray for the safety of human life. So Lord, we pray that through these organizations, you bring an end to this. As we have gathered together to, tonight to exalt the name of Jesus Christ in song, we've gathered to hear testimonies 
of the salvation of undeserving sinners. And even to approach the throne of grace like we just did and to ask for help in a time of need. A time of need. This is such a time. This is such a time. And tonight, for many of us, our eyes have been opened. Our minds have been informed. And our hearts have been stirred. And maybe, like me, you're feeling a swirl of emotion. I just watched the guys that do this for 20 years feel that same emotion well up over this issue based on the information that we've been given. We feel the Spirit of God probing and pushing our hearts. And as we process all of this, the question is, what do we do? How do we leave here? Because to sit here and to absorb this and to walk away and say, wow, that was a great night, super cool, would be an absolute failure and a travesty. And so in the remainder of our time, very briefly, I would like to engage our wills. The will is the place of determination. It is the place of resolve. It is the place of motivation. The will is what drives our behavior. If I say it another way, this then is a call to action. Because our goal tonight is not to pull your heartstrings. You, you, you go down the emotional pathway, it leads to a response, which is like a shooting star that looks so bright but quickly fades away to nothing. But our goal tonight is to inform you of this great injustice, to share with you the heart of God, and now to call you to action. But that pathway to engage is different for all of us because we all come from different places. We all have different experiences. We're all built differently, gifted differently. And so I don't know what the Lord is doing in your heart right now, but I'd like to categorize everyone here into three groups. Okay? And I think you'll find yourself in one of these three groups here tonight. Three challenges, three passages of Scripture, three direct calls into each one of our lives. Number one, to those who are hurting. That is somebody here tonight who's had an abortion. That is somebody here tonight who has encouraged an abortion, supported one, pushed for it to happen, even paid for it. This is to men. This is to women. You're here tonight, and we're so glad. There's no doubt in my mind that those around you have no idea. Your closest friends, even your family, maybe you've kept this a secret from them. You made a decision that seemed so straightforward at the time, a solution that would solve that problem, yet here you sit, chained to the very shackles of your past. Feelings of guilt, shame, regret, even despair. You hope time would heal your wounds, and yet the pain you feel threatens to rend your soul in half. And here you sit, suffering in lonely silence. Can I just say that we are so glad that you chose to come on this night. And it's my great privilege to reiterate what's been said already, which is that there is hope. There is hope of relief and hope of closure, hope of forgiveness, and listen, hope of peace. And it is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. He took your shame. He carried your guilt. He bore the weight of your sin, and because of his great love, he can set you free from the pain of your past. 
Jesus didn't come to press your face into your past and your sin. He didn't come to condemn. He came to carry your burden, to bind up your wounds, and to heal your brokenness. It's in Matthew 11, verse 28. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You must be weary. You must be tired of running, sick of hiding in the shadows. Are you not ready to let it go? Are you not ready to find healing? Charge number one, come to the cross of Jesus Christ and find rest for your soul. He is the Father of all mercies. He is the Prince of Peace. And he extends his very heart to you tonight in an act of mercy and love. We didn't put this night together in the same way to rub your face in your past or make you feel guilty or bring up something that you've locked away in some closet never to be disturbed again. We came tonight to extend the offer of forgiveness and hope that so many of us have experienced in Christ. All of us broken as sinners have found rest for our souls and forgiveness of our sins in Christ. So won't you come tonight to find rest for your soul too? We're going to have women and men in the garage later ready to counsel and talk to you. If you want to share, talk, have somebody in private to deal with these issues. Number two. Those who are not Christians. You were invited by a friend, and we're so glad you came. You didn't know what this night was, and here you are. And you're like, whoa, what just happened? Uh, or maybe you've been going to church your entire life. Maybe this is your first time in some kind of church setting. Whatever your story, even in this very moment, you know, wait a second, something's not right with my heart. I know that I don't have a right relationship with God. Maybe you've been pretending or acting or deceiving those around you. Maybe you've been deceiving yourself, but you've never experienced the forgiveness of God. It's an external show of righteousness, and internally you're full of dead man's bones. There's nothing there. Here you sit, and your soul is empty, your heart is hard as a rock, and you're holding on to your sin, saying, I'd rather have the passing pleasures of this world than I would go after the eternal riches that are found in Christ. Young man, young woman, this call, charge number two, is to you. Let go of your broken, empty, unfulfilled life, your past failure, and bend the knee to Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and follow him. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus offers to give you a new heart and a new life. He desires to have a relationship with you and to graft you into his family. Your greatest need is not to hear all this and think, well, I, got, I better be more empathetic. Maybe I'll you know, do something about abortion. Your greatest need is to get your heart right before God. You have a much bigger problem. And today the Bible says the day of salvation. And so if even now you want to know what it means to be a Christian, you want to know what it means to be born again, to have your sin removed and have a relationship with God. We want to help you. It's why we meet. 
Jesus died for your sin. He lives now desiring to have relationship with you, and we'd love to talk with you before the night is over. Don't leave this place without doing business with your soul. It's not every day that we turn to eternal things. We so distracted with the things of this world and taking care of the busyness of life. And there are moments like this that cut right through all that fog and reveal to us that life is short and eternity is long and there are bigger issues to deal with. And this is one of those moments. And God is parting those clouds and allowing you to see your own soul. Don't leave here without doing business with the Lord. Third and finally, for those whose heart has been pricked. This is a call to every son and daughter of the Most High God. Every person who has tasted the kindness of the Lord. Every person whose sin has been washed away. To all who have experienced the love and mercy of God in their own lives. Those who are far off but have been brought near. To those who have been given grace and call God their Father. This call goes to you. It is the call to step forward and to be counted. To come out of the shadows and to repent of the sin of indifference and to take a stand in some way, some shape, some form tonight. Outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, abortion stands as the greatest injustice in the history of mankind. And as those who have been set free by the love of God, we are now to express that love to others. It was Jesus who in Matthew 22, reciting the two greatest commands, Terrell prayed this just a moment ago. Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And you know what? I hate to say this. We typically stop there, don't we? Think about it. We typically stop there. But the next verse, the second command, Jesus says, is like it. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the question that's posed is, who is my neighbor? And we could... We could go over to Luke and look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Same question. Well, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells a story about the guy on the road. He gets beaten up. Men pass by on the other side. He's left for dead. And here along comes the Samaritan. He didn't know the man. This wasn't a family member that he cared about. It wasn't a friend. They didn't go to the same church. They weren't the same nationality. They were from completely different walks of life. And yet this man, in love to his neighbor went way out of his way, interrupted his normal life. And I want, wait, let me just, let me preface this. In this call to do something, think about what you would do with this topic and how this man was different. Busy life, walking up on business probably to get into Jericho, he sees this. Interruption to his daily life, too busy to stop? No, this man stops. Outside of the normal. Went above what was expected. He spent time he didn't have. He spent money that was planned for something else. He expended significant effort. He followed up. He stayed in it for a man that he didn't know. Because listen, as a believer who has experienced the love of God, and it's been a shed abroad in our hearts, how do we not show that same love to others? For our purposes tonight, who is my neighbor? We would argue that certainly includes the unborn as our neighbor. Maybe you've turned a blind eye to abortion. You think, I don't know anything about it. I don't know anyone affected by it. It's not my ministry. Well, I'm just a college student. What can I do? And so you've done little with this. 
I'm hoping right now you feel the conviction and the weight of that. And I would just say welcome to the club. Because when we're confronted with this, our hearts begin to break under the weight of this atrocity. And we have to do something to love our neighbor. The call, number three to you, is to do something. And that something is to love your unborn neighbor. To love the women and the men that are affected by this, that are in and out of your life. To take a step forward. He didn't say this, but it was an evening like this that changed Mike's life. Going, listening to a man talk about the Good Samaritan in a setting like this that turned his direction completely away from going down this pathway to a pathway where he would say, I will stand and be counted. I will do something about this because as God stirred his heart, he could not, he couldn't not do something. Our prayer is that you would be involved. Listen carefully, as an obedient Christian. How? I don't know. Find a way. Here's, a, here's one. You're looking for how. We always are. Get on your knees and pray. Go, Hebrews 4, to the throne of grace and seek the help of a merciful high priest who grants mercy in time of need. I don't know. Maybe spend some time on a board 73 to get educated. I don't know enough about it. Okay, well, that's now your fault. That's my fault. There are amazing tools out there. Download an app on your phone so you can understand the different developmental stages of a baby. Educate yourself politically, philosophically, biologically, biblically, morally. All these different things that Mike has laid out on his website. It's an amazing tool. What else? I don't know. Maybe take some money instead of going to Chick-fil-A. Drop it to abort 73 each month. Or support birth choice. Maybe volunteer to go down and say, I'll buy a box of diapers once a month. Drop them off for you. I can volunteer my time. What do you need? I don't have counseling training. I could probably mop the floors, though. Something to be involved. It might be to disciple or counsel young men or young women. It might be to welcome and love every single person that comes through the doors of your church. Because you have no idea, neither do I, what they're bringing with them. And sometimes a smile and a warm welcome and a, and a statement of love will do a ton to, to disarm and bring them in. We never know what they're going through. We love them all. So what will you do? Prayerfully consider tonight how to answer this call and how you can love your neighbor. Let's, let's answer this together. Is that fair? I don't know what it is for you, but I know the Lord's stirring my heart, and I'm praying that he's stirring your heart, and we need to figure out how we can take steps in this action. So those are our three charges and we're going to just sing one final song as we wrap tonight up. And this is a song about grace. Because to leave here feeling like, oh, I'm going to go out and do something is great. But we need to do it in the grace and the strength that God provides. Doing it on our own is a recipe for disaster. So let's be reminded that we are here because of the grace of God and that we can move forward and fight this battle and other battles only through his grace. Is that good? Can we stand one last time and let's sing? Burning away tonight.
Thank you for coming. Uh, we hope that this was motivating, this was loving, and this was informative for you all to know that one, that God hates abortion. He hates abortion. And that Jesus offers hope and forgiveness to those who seek it. And so we are called to take action in some way. And so I hope that we were encouraged to do that. And maybe we're thinking about ways that we're going to do that tonight. And if we, have, we have ways for you to do that. Um, 
all around. Uh, and so the night is not over. Listen, if you've heard something here tonight and it just shook you, uh, we and you need counseling and you need advice and if you have questions, we have women in the garage tonight, uh, like Tamara and Jeanette from Birth Choice and a whole bunch of other people on our staff who would be so happy to talk to you and to walk you through that. Um, don't leave tonight without any um, questions unanswered. Answer all your questions tonight. And for everyone, let's not leave a night like this without taking a first step to action. We have completely transformed our garage, which was once a library. It's now a, a Board 73 store. And so you can walk through there. There's racks along the sides, and you can pick out some hoodies, some shirts, some stickers, pens, all of that. And we're running a special deal where our, short, our shirts are $20 for one or $30 for two. So that can be your first step into making uh, uh, action uh, in this fight against abortion. Also, our staff has spent a lot of time, as you can see, hanging up these lights. Uh, there's stuff over there. There's fire pits. There's coffee. There's desserts over there. And so afterwards, feel free to hang around, have conversations. Uh, we're going to have some of our serving staff in black grafted aprons with their names on them. Super cute. Super cool. Super cute. Uh, they're straight from Starbucks. So we're pretty official. Uh, but we have cold brew. We have lattes. We have all that good stuff there. And they're, they're going to be taking your orders around. Uh, so look for one of them if you want coffee. And this Sunday night, lastly, Mike Spielman, as he mentioned, will be back at our church, Faith Bible Church, Bella Vista Middle School at 6 p.m. And um, it's going to be an awesome night. It's going to be totally different from tonight. We're going to have a discussion panel. Um, and Mike is going to talk about abortion and the gospel in our Worldview series. So be sure to stick around for that Sunday night. Check our website for more info. And lastly, if you're a part of our ministry, um, and really all of you guys are now, so you, this is for everybody. Um, <laughs> we're having a fall classic camp. A getaway up in, um, where is it? Big Bear. Big Bear. <laughs> <laughs> um, up in Big Bear, uh, an awesome weekend. It's gonna be beautiful. We're gonna have a ton of fun. But tonight is the last night for our early bird special. Plus, you get a free, fresh, sweet sweatshirt if you sign up tonight. So make sure to do that, nbccollegeministry.com. We have all that stuff in the garage. Um, enjoy your conversations and fellowship tonight. You are dismissed. Majority of our, uh, yeah. 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 the shirts. We don't really. 
our budgets are pretty, our margins are too thin right now. Like we don't do much paid advertising, so yeah. all of our marketing is basically from our yeah. So yeah, that's the, those are the main entry points. There's a, um, there's a section on our website that's like 10 ways for people to support books in the 10 ways for ministries to support books in the It doesn't have more than the news, but those are the and I'm assuming the website will take care of any donation. Yeah, you can buy everything online and you can, and there's a number of ways to do one time for This is my wife, Rachel. No, it's just me. We've got two kids in high school and then a six year old, so it's just tricky. Yeah, we adopted him actually about a year ago, so he has upended our life a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We were we were like the young parents the first time around, like not to know our oldest, and now we're the old parents. Mom is Jack, so it's interesting the perspective of like, oh, we got a little kid here. Yeah, we don't have as much energy as we used to have. Yeah, we're the young parents. Yeah. Yeah, well, like with, with Sam and Melanie, our oldest one, we like to sign up for all, everything, you know, like we're just selling them around all the sports stuff, and with Jack's other one, we're like, if he wants to do it, we'll do it, but we're not going to, we're not going to suggest anything. He realized, man, it's just, you know, it's great, but it is, it's just, you know, I kind of feel like that's us right now, we're like, I don't know if we're going to push her to sports yeah. or I think, we'll just, I think we're just going to see if she wants to do something, then we'll go for it. I don't know. But that's so, so how old is your oldest? 17, 17, 16. Back to back. Big brain. Me and my younger brother, we're nine years old. It's kind of small. That's cool. So what, uh, they... Junior then? Your oldest? Yeah, sophomore, yeah. junior. Okay. First grade. Looking at colleges yet? <laughs> uh, yeah. My, my daughter is super ambitious. She really wants to go to Duke. She's like obsessing about grades and, and she plays a bunch of sports. My son is he's into baseball. He'd like to play baseball in college. He's yeah. more like He'd like to go to Clemson, which was in state for us, but yeah. it's really hard to put baseball for Clemson. So yeah. he's kind of like, oh, so yeah. what's the reason you moved to Clemson? So we moved from California to first to Rockford, Illinois, because we had a couple friends that were in a church plant. And cheap place to live. But, uh, well, no, oh, Illinois. Illinois. Yeah, I mean, compared to California. And um, so we, we kind of got stuck because we bought a house at a really bad time and then we could not sell it. Um, so we ended up being there seven years. We were thinking, we'll go to Illinois for maybe three to five. But we ended up being there longer. And then, like the winners just really started to Yeah, so we wanted. Um, so the move to Myrtle Beach was like not at all strategic. It's just like we want to be warm and we want to be by the coast. Well, I guess we want to be able to afford it. So like as far as we have got a lot of coastal communities and that was like the most bang for the buck. So it was, it was not any spiritual reason other than we just wanted to. Yeah. So, yeah. So we've been there uh, six years now. 
Um, we, we were renting this little tiny house about a block from which was awesome. I loved it, but everyone in the house in the family we need a bigger place. So we were like three miles in the now. Yeah, it feels like an eternity. It's like, I can't rock it. But we bought the house, and then this. Like the adoption came up totally out of the blue, and like it was like two weeks later, we had so it wouldn't have been possible. Well, almost we got them moved in in October. I meant like it came on like as a possibility. We hadn't been talking about adoption at all. Um, so my wife has a half sister through the dad, and then that sister has a half sister through the mom. He's the bio mom for our son. She's, she's been an addict her whole life. He's grown up in foster care. She decided to terminate the rights of the foster family. She wasn't able to adopt him. And there wasn't anybody in the immediate family that could adopt him. And so, like, we didn't really have a reason that we couldn't. Um, so, like, we've got a house, a house now, and so we'll take it. So he's... Um, He's uh, super naughty. It's funny because like he's always in trouble at school. Our first two kids are like pretty laid back, good students. He's way behind academically. He's naughty, but he's, he's just um, he's a fun kid. He's got a ton of energy. He's really sweet. He's just not. You know, we don't know what's happened the first five years of his life. So it's kind of just this like boy. Um, you know, his mom was using the whole time he was she was pregnant. He doesn't display like any obvious developmental problems, but he's definitely got some issues. It's hard like to know is he being defiant or is he just just not processing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's a kitty. We gotta get this guy to the garage. Yeah, go for it. Great job. Yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you guys for coming. Have a good trip. Yeah. Good break for Sunday. Thank you. Safe travels back. All right.
See you later.